Many of the leaders of these companies do appear to either assent or they're really trying to achieve certain goals that are closely aligned with technocracy. And that's on the social engineering side of things. And you talk about that in terms of something that's very closely related to technocracy. Perhaps it's the other side of the coin fitting again with the social engineering aspect of things. And that's transhumanism. Do you mind telling us a little bit about that? This is part and parcel of the Great Reset. I'll say that right up front. Ten years ago, I had a keen awareness of what transhumanism was back then, and I, I spoke about it, wrote some articles about it. But there was no obvious awareness of people studying transhumanism that there was a connection to technocracy. Nobody really saw it as being intricately involved in, you know, with each other. Today, I call them Siamese twins. They're joined at the hip and maybe everywhere else too. And the reason I say that, the simplest way to understand this, I think, is look at the, just looking at the, the World Economic Forum. Klaus Schwab has openly stated that the Great Reset is not merely just the economic system of the world, you know, moving into sustainable development to, you know, controlling all resources, et cetera. But he talks about the merging of technology with the human condition. Ladies and gentlemen, the future is already here. It's a new system. It changes us because it's a fusion of our physical, digital, and biological spheres. It's an integration. Just think of sensors planted into our brains. The opportunities are immense. And we have to prepare ourselves already now. He talks about first wearable technologies, then implantable technologies. He talks about life extension. He talks about ultimately conquering death. And of course, he talks about AI, but this is just about transhumanism right now. Transhumans believe that they can capture or hijack evolution. They say, hey, why wait for millions of years when now that we have genetic engineering, why don't we just kind of take over the process and we'll speed it up and we'll redesign mankind in our own image? You know what? In other words, whatever we think mankind ought to be, why we could do that now. We have genetic engineering tools and stuff and, and analysis tools at our disposal. So all of a sudden, thanks to the World Economic Forum, there is a broad understanding that when he says great reset, we should think far beyond just economic reset, beyond Green New Deal, for instance. We should, we should be thinking about what about the messenger RNA that's being injected into people's arms? And what about the DNA vaccines now that India has just produced that is being injected into people's arms? Well, this kind of gives a different spin on the whole thing of the Great Reset. The COVID-19 crisis has shown us that our old systems are not fit anymore for the 21st century. It has laid bare the fundamental lack of social cohesion, fairness, inclusion, and equality. Now is the historical moment, the time, not only to fight severe virus, but to shape the system for the need for the post-corona era. We have a choice to remain passive, which would lead to the amplification of many of the trends we see today. Polarization, 
nationalism, racism, and ultimately increased social unrest and conflicts. But we have another choice. We can build a new social contract, particularly integrating the next generation. We can change our behavior to be in harmony with nature again. And we can make sure that the technologies of the fourth industrial revolution are best utilized to provide us with better lives. In short, we need a great reset. The difference of this fourth industrial revolution is it changes you. If you take a genetic editing, it's you who are changed. And of course, this has a big impact on your identity. And I finally concluded myself as I just, you know, thought about this over time that technocracy is to the structure of society as transhumanism is to the people who will live in that society. They ha- it has to go together. Logically, at this point, it has to go together. If you're going to transform the economic world, then you have to transform the people that are going to live there because it's going to be a different otherworldly type of experience. It's going to need a new breed of people to live in it. And that's where transhumanism come in. So now the, uh, you know, Klaus Schwab in the world economic forum, they talk openly about transhuman issues and stuff in the same breath. They're talking about the great reset. And I think that's a good way to connect the dots on this. They are uh, very much linked together. And um, if there's one thing they have in common, Of course, a lot of the principles and traits they have in common with technocracy right off, but um, you can trace it back to the ideology, you can trace it back to scientism, which uh, was written about extensively in the last century by people like C.S. Lewis. Francis Schaeffer talked about it as well. Uh, F.A. Hayek wrote extensively against scientism as well. But scientism postulates that science essentially is God. And that in order to serve God, that has to have a priesthood of engineers and scientists who can interpret for, for science their God and bring it down to the masses, that's you and I. And so scientism, even though it's not talked about today much, except I talk about it, it's, just, it's true. <laughs> But um, the markers of scientism today are seen in people like Anthony Fauci very clearly seen if you know what to look for in any case. You remember the 60-minute interview he had with, uh, uh, that Fauci had with Chuck Todd? Fauci was complaining about the attacks that he had been receiving. And he said, uh, it's very dangerous, Chuck, because a lot of what you're seeing as attacks on me, quite frankly, are attacks on science. <laughs> a lot of what you're seeing as attacks on me, quite frankly, are attacks on science because all of the things that I have spoken about consistently from the very beginning have been fundamentally based on science. And he went on to say, he doubled down on it. He said, so if you're trying to get at me as a public health official and scientist, you're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, the priest, you're attacking science. So if you are trying to you know, get at me as a public health official and a scientist, You're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, you're attacking science. That is what's going on. Science and the truth are being attacked. So scientism is running rapid right now through the transhuman world and through the technocracy world because these people literally worship science. 
Right. I mean, going back to the original definition, um, it is defined as the science of social engineering and then also the means of uh, controlling production of goods and services and distributing them. So it's both economic in its scope and it's also uh, much larger than that in terms of applying the scientific method to social engineering, managing society. So it's very it's very uh, broad and wide sweeping. And, you know, one of the biggest, I would say, thinkers behind the transhumanist movement, as far as I understand it, in more recent history would be Ray Kurzweil, the director of engineering at Google. And he's written a number of books on life extension, on achieving immortality through technology. There's a very common way of thinking among those at Google and Silicon Valley companies of trying to achieve immortality or life extension through, like you said, genetic engineering. Uh, Elon Musk, for example, I mean, he's has his Neuralink company. He's hoping that, well, eventually you might be able to upload your consciousness into a computer and that hopefully that means that we'll be able to outcompete AI when the singularity happens, you know what I mean? <laughs> so these are, these are the, the things that these powerful elite are really working on and plowing very much into. Our bodies are basically actually information because it's governed by our genes, their information processes. And we're also making exponential progress in being able to model it, simulate it, understand it, and reprogram it. Ten years from now, these technologies will be a thousand times more powerful than they are today because they're doubling in power every year. They'll be a million times more powerful in 20 years. We'll reach a point 10 to 20 years from now, probably closer to 10, where we're adding more than a year every year, not just to infant life expectancy, but to your remaining life expectancy. So that's one development. Another is virtual reality, three-dimensional printing. We're going to be able to print all the things we need, printing out actual kidneys and lungs and hearts. And most importantly, artificial intelligence. That's been my passion for 50 years. These people are convinced that technology is going to save humanity. Now, from what? It's not quite, you know, from itself, I guess, because like, you know, man-made climate change. Well, we got to save the world. It's going to burn up because, you know, man has created all this problem. They Most of them probably don't know that they're being led around by the nose by spiritual forces. But nevertheless, this is what they teach. And now they've even decided that uh, maybe a better place to go is to outer space. So you see Elon Musk with SpaceX, you see. Jeff Bezos with uh, Blue Origin. <clears throat> Bezos uh, said that so someday in the future, Earth is going to be like Yellowstone, where people come back to visit from outer space to see what Earth was like. <laughs> like <laughs> this guy is, is one of the, he's like the second richest guy on the planet. Um, and Elon Musk is right behind him. He wants to colonize Mars. That's his big dream with his money. He wants to go out into outer space and colonize Mars. Well, the space cult has been around actually for a long, long time. These guys are just kind of at the forefront of it. And again, I'll reiterate, you can't look at a Bezos in, with these policies. You can't look at a Musk. You can't look at a Microsoft and say, or at, at, at a, a Bill Gates and say, there goes a Marxist or there goes a communist. They're, they're not. They, they march to a different drumbeat that most people have just not been tuned into. But when they see it, it's like, <laughs> you can't unsee it, right? It's like, once you see what's going on, you just can't unsee it. 
And it would sound like you would say, you know, you, you can't even describe them as capitalists either. You know, if you were to point to Elon Musk, for example, because really they're trying to apply science and technology, leverage it to its fullest possible degree for either managing their companies, but ultimately with the goal of, in many cases, part of the technocratic aim of social engineering itself, right? I mean, and that's what we're talking about when we think of that other side of the coin, like you said, the Siamese twin here for technocracy is transhumanism, of which many of them are are very much plowing full into with uh, large investments, hoping to extend their life, either through genetic engineering or through medicines. Given that, where do you see technocracy at work today when it comes to implementation of policies around COVID-19? Yes, well, <clears throat> I see the current pandemic, say pseudo-pandemic, in my opinion, uh, I call it the great panic of 2020. Uh, I believe that this was technocracy's coup d'etat, that they flipped on the world. I think they've been building up to it for a number of years. But starting with this pandemic, uh, I believe that it will prove out, and as time goes on, that, that this was their coup d'etat to take over the world for the sake of technocracy. And so far, you look at the things that are happening around the world, it's exactly what's happening. But let me tell you how I arrived at this conclusion long ago. In fact, it was January 2020. I think we probably discussed it in that program back then. Um, <clears throat> but the universities and the people who were behind climate alarmism at that time, there were uh, universities in America, the universities in Great Britain, for instance, and others around the world that were really big into climate alarmism. So they would produce studies and they would produce statistical analysis. And, and uh, there was scandal after scandal with the data because they kept lying and, you know, fudging and they wouldn't show their data and that sort of thing. So it was a lot of phoniness going on, but it was always respectable in, in that they had the white, you know, smock on whatever university degrees. And, they didn't get, they, they ran out of steam with the whole climate alarmism thing. At the, when, when, when Greta Thunberg went to the United Nations and stomped her feet and had a little Greta temper tantrum right there in front of everybody saying, your house is on fire and you don't care. Uh, it didn't budge the needle. It didn't move the needle at all. And so there was no place to go with climate alarmism at that point. They were just, they, they didn't have any dead bodies like they said there was going to be. The polar bears were thriving, which they said were going extinct. And they were pretty much discredited in the public sphere. What happened with COVID, these same people, the same universities using the same MO, the same crackpot alarmist uh, mentality, they jumped the track from global warming over onto the pandemic, this virus. And they made that their cause, and they started pumping the fear-mongering stuff that they had pumped with climate alarmism, and people bought it. The nations of the world bought it because there were already tightly intertwined with the United Nations at that point, and the UN took it and pushed it out to all 197 or whatever it is, nations of the world. We have a pandemic. Here's what you need to do. Here's the statistical analysis says millions are going to die. Probably you, Mr. Prime Minister, you better get busy. 
And so the entire world was flipped into this panic mode, which was technocracy's way to get free market economics out of their hair once and for all and kill it. And out of the ashes, they hope, this is what Klaus Schwab talks about, by the way, out of the ashes, they will build back better. You see, that's, that's what Schwab says. That's coded language, in my opinion. When you say you're going to build back better, there's a hidden assumption that nobody talks about. I do. That means that whatever you are building back better from or on has been burned down. <laughs> it's been destroyed. But now, this time around, you're going to build back better. Oh, you know, raise the globe, as they say, right? Uh, we're going to build back better this time. Well, technocracy would like to destroy the world, the economic system of the world. That's the only way their system can come in. And they flipped the switch in January of 2020. I think there was a lot of groundwork laid for that leading up to that, by the way, just didn't come out of the blue. They, they probably had this in the plan and the works for years, but uh, they didn't pull the lever. They didn't flip the switch until January of 2020. And they finally got dominance over humanity to exercise gigantic social engineering projects. And they have. Yeah. As we discussed with you early last year, after we saw the lockdowns, one of the most influential documents and people at the time that really caused a major policy shift was the Imperial College. And that was the Imperial College UK study, which basically predicted, and I'm reading off your website because this was something that we discussed last year, 2.2 million deaths that would take place if there weren't widespread lockdowns immediately. And uh, that has been the thinking is that if we don't continue with the lockdowns, then we're going to continue to see large death rates. And of course, there's now the belief that it's not just about flattening the curve. It's about making sure that everyone is vaccinated, even though we've clearly seen now at this point, the vaccinations um, don't prevent infection. And I mean, the scientists are admitting that, that we are seeing infection uh, spread among those who are vaccinated. So the vaccines are not doing what they were supposed to do. Uh, but yet, you know, we're moving into a place where we're dealing with a coronavirus, uh, essentially something that is constantly mutating, which would, if we do what Anthony Fauci and others are proposing, we would need to get booster shots every three to six months just in order to keep up with a virus that mutates just like the flu to get those regular software updates, as uh, Chris Martinson likes to say. <laughs> exactly. So, so yeah, it's 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 an interesting it's an interesting environment we're moving into, and of course, there are many countries that are implementing you know a zero tolerance approach, like China. Uh, even you know we see events in Australia and other places where you know one single outbreak and they lock down. Uh, you're not allowed to leave your house. There's widespread use of surveillance now of tracking where you've gone, who you've spoken to, who you've you know interacted with, all in the name of COVID, all in the name of, like you said, science. Anthony Fauci saying, if you when you attack me, you're attacking big S, science. So all of this in the name of science. Yes. 
Exactly right. And, you know, it's just interesting to note that, uh, that Neil Ferguson, who was the epidemiologist at uh, Imperial College that wrote that original study, he's been completely discredited since then. He was actually discredited by June of 2020. His, uh, his computer software finally was analyzed by industry experts and said it wasn't fit. It wasn't fit for any use at all for what he came out with in a study. And he was basically shamed as a computer programmer, as an epidemiologist. And then he was caught violating his own policy recommendations when it turns out he was secretly meeting with another woman with, you know, outside of lockdown stuff who was in an open marriage with her husband. And he was like, you know, a, a pervert, if you will. <laughs> and, and, and he got caught at that. It, it, you know, shamed him again, morally shamed him. He said, well, you know, if you believe this stuff, why aren't you doing it? Well, he obviously didn't believe it. So this has been the way climate change has been for decades now. Their science stinks. Their computer models stink. They cannot predict the future. They cannot know what's going to happen. And they make it say what they want it to say in order to panic and and move people from point A to point B. And Imperial College, by the way, was one of the main colleges, universities, that promoted climate alarmism for the last 15 years. Yeah, it's very interesting. And as we've discussed on our show, uh, there's been a number of different predictions that have been made by climate scientists or whatever you want to call them. Uh, they may not be scientists in many cases, philosophers, that have not come true. Politicians, Al Gore, you know, predicting that ocean levels would rise to a certain amount by this time didn't happen. Yeah. Or that we would see how many millions of global deaths by this time didn't happen. And yet they continue to make these same types of, um, you know, uh, very doomsday predictions. Uh, I think all of us agree that we should reduce pollution. We should do our best to try to conduct things in a, in a manner that's going to be good for the environment, but, uh, you know, we don't need to be jumping to extremes, you know, uh, outlawing fossil fuels, trying to mandate that everyone uses renewable energy to the point where, you know, we see what's happening in Europe right now, where they have shortages of, of fossil fuels and having to go back and use coal or import energy from other nations because they don't have the supplies they need because they've gotten rid of all of their sources. And there's just a lot of hypocrisy. There's a lot of lack of common sense that's operating, unfortunately. So um, I think people are really, you know, awakening to these things, including the implementation of technocracy, as you've written about it, and how we see this taking shape in, in certain areas um, where, you know, it's no longer about common sense. It's no longer about free market principles. It's no longer about personal liberty. It's about something else. Yes, it is obviously about something else. And just knowing that you're primarily looking at, at the economic financial side of things, I want I just want to point out that back in the early 1970s or mid-1970s, under, especially under Jimmy Carter, we had a phony energy crisis where there were cars lined around blocks waiting to get gasoline. It was completely engineered by these same people, same types of people. You had um, a, a stock market, bear market take take hold in 73 and four that wiped off 50% of the market. 
but you had rampant inflation. Inflation was like the highest we'd ever seen it at that point in our country. Didn't last for long, but people that analyzed the Federal Reserve could see it was them that was creating the problem. And again, it was a man-made catastrophe that they're trying to promote as the end of the world. So you had energy crisis, massive inflation, you had a, a huge recession, you had a stock market collapse, and they basically were all crowing. It's going to be the end of the world, folks, right around the corner. You better turn everything over to us so we can take care of you sort of thing. Well, there's some parallels today. We have an energy crisis. Gas prices are going through the roof. They're manufactured under a president right now that's created policy guaranteed to drive energy prices up. You have inflation going crazy again for the first time in a long time, well, probably since the 70s. And the market is in a stratosphere again, like it was in 73 before it's, you know, before it really the bear market started. And people are asking, how, high, how much higher can it go before the balloon just pops and it just collapses? There's a lot of uh, man-made catastrophes that are happening today that we can look back in history and say, you know, they tried this before. Almost exactly the same playbook that they tried back in the 70s. And it ultimately failed miserably, but it put people through a lot of grief in the process. And I just uh, you know, wonder what, this, what it's going to play out like here in the next, say, year as these policies simply cannot be extended anymore without blowing a gasket. This is certainly uh, what the whole concept of the Great Reset is. Uh, you, can't, you can't build back better until whatever you're building on it gets destroyed. Technocracy and free market economics are like uh, matter and antimatter. Wherever technocracy shows up, uh, capitalism and free enterprise suffer. They, it's like gangrene sets in and it corrupts it. And it dis dislocates things that just where nothing makes any sense anymore. This is the goal, I believe, of technocracy. This is a moral hazard, if you will, to cause things to break <laughs> so that they can build back better. It's not that it's not just that they foresee a time, oh, well, things are going to fall apart. And when they do, you know, we we had nothing to do with it, but when it does fall apart, we'll build back better. I don't think it's that way at all. I think there's a moral hazard behind the whole thing where Humpty Dumpty is not just about to fall off the wall. He's being shoved off the wall and uh, we'll build back better. And I, I think that, you know, if you, if you look at our current, the current world situation right now and what's happening, we could have a collapse, an economic collapse at any time. It kind of depends on whether or not the central banks of the world want to pull the plug or not. That's what happened in 1929 when the federal reserve dried up credit, Every, all the margin calls got called and, stock market just drop like a rock. Uh, if the Fed decides at some point, make a policy change, suck liquidity out of the economy, the first place that's going to feel it is in the stock market. And the stock market is so wildly extended right now, with not only with margin purchases, but also with options, with derivatives uh, that have just exploded around the world in the last 10 years. Uh, we're a recipe right now for disaster, we're in, but it could continue for another four, five, six, seven, eight years. Who knows? But we're in uncharted waters right now. Maybe that'd be a right way to say it. We're hanging by a thread, and I wouldn't be surprised if that collapse started at any time. Um, I see nothing to say that it would be prevented at this point. And uh, j just as a matter of background, by the way, I've 
throughout my years of stock market analysis and portfolio management, and I don't know, all, all around the horn, I was a fierce student of the, the theories of pressure. You know, the, the market, as you know, goes in cycles and swings. Sometimes it seems unpredictable, but oftentimes it is quite predictable how it, how it works. We're at the top of one of those swings right now that uh, could swing higher. But when the swinging higher stops, it's going to be ugly, really ugly. And that will be what will cause technocrats everywhere to rejoice <laughs> because they'll see their day is coming. And I expect even by that time, they'll have most of their mechanisms in place. Like in China, for instance, you've got one camera for every 2.6 people in China. Eh, that's enough. The, you know, they're controlled. <laughs> and so, you know, the, the, the sensor networks, the, the surveillance networks are all being laid right now all around the world, every country. So that system will prevail regardless of the economic, you know, whatever the e economic system does, that will prevail. And it will be a convenient way to completely take over the science of social engineering that they have been waiting for for decades. So when it comes to understanding the reigning paradigm in operation today, again, it's not capitalism or socialism, it's technocratism. And you have detailed not just the history, but its ongoing implementation and its evolution over time in your book. It's probably the most popular of the three different books that you've written on this subject, as I understand it. And that's Technocracy Rising, the Trojan Horse of Global Transformation, which was originally published in 2014. And that is probably the first place that I would tell people to go. But outside of that book, what other books or what other ways can our listeners follow your work or find out more about technocracy? Well, sure. My, my latest book, The Hard Road to World Order, <clears throat> is probably a little bit easier for people to, uh, to get through as a first, you know, as a first uh, read on technocracy, but they're both important. They cover different material. I've created, a, uh, over time, a bunch of different interviews and stuff. They're all pretty much all over the Internet if you use an alternative search engine, you'll find more than you want. Google, <laughs> Google is buried. Google has buried technocracy news on the, anywhere the fifth to the 15th page. of <laughs> now. So, um, but you know, you can listen to some of those interviews. You can read some of the articles that I've written, uh, on technocracy.news and, uh, and all of the other articles from around the world. I, I make a conscious effort to pick stories that are coming out of other people's pen and mouths, uh, from Europe, from, you know, up to any, really anywhere, Asia, it doesn't matter. Whenever people talk about technocracy, I'm listening and I report on those stories. And often I just want people to see what they are saying about this, not just what I think about it. That's important to really understand the, the scope of this whole thing. The other thing I would encourage people to do is to try and get a hold of a copy of uh, of a book by, by professor Shoshona Zuboff, who professor emeritus at Harvard, who wrote a great book a few years ago on surveillance capitalism. And, uh, I, I read it. I listened to the audiobook. I read the book. I found it to be extremely enlightening as to what was going on with the, the change, the, the seeming change in nature of our economic system and in particular as it relates to big tech and what they're doing to 
convert people into resources to sell as products and stuff mm-hmm. to other organizations around the world is probably the biggest paradigm shift that we've seen in the last 15, 20 years, but it's very real. She documented it extremely well, uh, gives impeccable sources. And I found it to be a really, really good book. She doesn't really mention technocracy, but um, I, I read it and I said, this is technocracy. <laughs> this is exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, so that's a, that's a good read. It's kind of long. Um, if it's too much for you, just go back and read one of my books <laughs> instead. <laughs> okay. Well, um, I'm going to have a list of the different books, including the one that I mentioned today and the others. Um, and then also have a link out to technocracy.news, which is where Patrick is uh, doing ongoing reporting about this subject. In addition to a lot of articles that are produced around the globe. Again, this is a global movement. This is not something that's just taking place in a corner of the world. This is now the reigning paradigm, and it brings in together a lot of different subjects like we discussed today, not just a scientific and technological dictatorship, but also where uh, many of the global elite fit into this with their goals of pursuing transhumanism, immortality, life extension, even artificial intelligence. So it's a very wide-ranging subject and term given its goal of achieving social engineering and managing the global economy as a whole. So you need to acquaint yourself with this subject if you haven't already. And Patrick, it was a pleasure having you on our show and we look forward to speaking with you again. My pleasure. Glad to be with you. If you have any questions or feedback about what we discussed today with Patrick Wood, feel free to email me directly at CRIS, that's Chris with no H at financialsense.com Or you can also submit a message through our website by going to financialsense.com and hitting where it says, Contact Us. For FS Insider, I'm Chris Sheridan. Thanks for listening. Financial Sense News Hour is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be considered as a solicitation or offer to purchase or sell any securities. The investments, investment strategies, and investment philosophies discussed or presented on the News Hour each involve their own unique risk factors, which are not discussed on the show. Responses to listener inquiries are based on the personal opinions of the Financial Sense staff and do not take into account listener suitability, objectives, or risk tolerance. Financial Sense News Hour and its parent company shall not be liable for any financial losses that result from investing in any company. Companies mentioned in financial sense or arising out of the use of any material on the news hour. Be advised that you invest at your own risk.